Welcome to this week's episode of Watch No Evil. This is Matt, and today I am joined by a very special guest. Dr. Nathan Platt is back to talk about something that often gets overlooked on, on Watch No Evil's podcast, and that is going to be horror movie music. We're actually going to dive deeper into horror movie music today. So, hello, Dr. Platt. How are you doing? Great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me back on the show. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, thank you. So, you have done a, a lot of work in film music, especially, but um, mm -hmm. what is your experience with working specifically in horror music? Have you done much work there or? Yeah, well, um, I think the short answer would be I haven't done extensive work there, but it's something that I have definitely spent a lot of time thinking about and teaching the use of just sound more generally in horror is often very, very interesting and different. Sound tends to be used a little bit differently in horror than it, it does in other films. And then that has ramifications for how music is used in the genre. And so just in terms of sort of learning about the different ways in which music can serve a film narrative, horror is a great place to spend some time because the rules are just a little bit different. And, and in fact, it's not just the rules, it's sort of like the relationship to the rules. And so, I mean, just to give like a really initial example, there is a sort of idea that has been described by, by great film music scholar, uh, Claudia Gordman, where she talks about this sort of expected inaudibility of film music. And she means that, of course, figuratively, not literally, but that a lot of background music in film is intended to sort of be in the background of our consciousness while we're watching the film, which is to say, if it, if it, if we sort of notice it consciously while we're taking in the story, it has, you know, perhaps almost like transgressed a, a sort of boundary or expectation that if it's doing its job, we shouldn't notice it consciously. Mm -hmm. Now, there's, of course, exceptions to that, but I think it's a it's an interesting rule and it kind of or an interesting observation. And it's frequently broken in, in horror that oftentimes music does enter in ways that's very conspicuous. that's very deliberately conspicuous. It's not like a sort of oops, we we didn't know how to do this, but rather we are kind of misusing or uh, misusing is too too negatively charged. But we are using differently the soundtrack to go to places that we wouldn't otherwise and so that's great for again just sort of studying music and film because it gives you a sense of possibilities that you might not see elsewhere and it's also fantastic for teaching because the uh, soundtrack in horror is so central to storytelling and that that's often exciting for students and it's also really pedagogically helpful because it's so noticeable yeah absolutely and I think that one of the things um, that allows for horror movie music to really shine through and, and break those rules and be at the at the forefront of the action as well something that we are mm -hmm. supposed to notice uh, the idea of, of Mickey mousing 
right? Which is oh, which yeah. is like a thing that it is kind of a a joke, I think, sometimes mm-hmm. in other genres of film. But in horror movie music, it really, I think, enhances a lot of the action that's going on because the use of jump scares, which is, is you know, a yeah. predominant feature of horror movie music, that sudden image that is often accompanied by sound or some sort of extremely yeah. striking musical moment uh, helps us to be even more afraid of it. And Often yeah. it includes the absence of sound leading up to it so that then the combination of visual and audio stimuli uh, exacerbates the, the fear in that <laughs> moment. And it's uh, it, I do think that it is you know akin to, to Mickey Mousing. It is such a striking uh, a striking use of visual and sound that wouldn't be as effective if used alone. Uh, there are right. movies with jump scares that have no sound, and they are far from effective. <laughs> and I, I think that that's one of the things where uh, those really work together to create a much more significant uh, element. And sometimes horror movies are are broken by I, their score. Yeah, no, that's that's such an interesting point. And and so sometimes they refer to those as as stingers, like stinger chords if it's musical, or just stingers if it's some kind of sort of audio event that's that's punctuating this you know hard visual cut. But yeah, it's so effective, and um, it's used as you said all over the all over the place. I feel like John Carpenter is kind of somebody who really really cashed in on that but he's by no means the first or the only and it it's it's really um that experience of which i think part of the reason why it doesn't work in other genres as well is the artifice of it right the kind of oh that's unrealistic that's reminding me that i'm watching a movie because it's this very sort of movie specific experience of sudden cut sudden audio that emphasizes it and that to me is one of the things that's just so fascinating about horror as a genre which is on the one hand horror is often kind of going to places that we fear to go and because of that it has a certain I always hesitate to use this word but there's something that feels kind of authentic about that like the idea of oh this is a this is this is where angels fear to tread and therefore because of that we're in we're in a really sort of special space on the other hand, because it is so fearful, we want the movie on some level to protect us mm-hmm. sort of emotionally from that and kind of remind us of its own moviness. I think a lot of us can think of, and this can happen in horror, it can also happen in other genres, where we see something really disturbing on screen and it's the the sort of, any the, the kind of enjoyment of it, if that's the right word, is is not possible because it's just too disturbing. And in a lot of horror, the trick is to sort of take people there, but to also kind of remind them that they are still in this movie experience and kind of that the movie is sort of um, helping them through this in a way that will, in most cases, be pleasurable and exciting, even if the if, even if the ideas are 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 scary and unsettling. And so I think the, the you know the the stinger chord is a great example of that where it both emphasizes the fright but it also through its own artifice emphasizes it's okay we're still in a movie and so you're you're safe even as you're experiencing this really 
extraordinary, unusual, scary, whatever experience. And what I what I love about horror movies and and the use of um, stinger chords especially too is there seems to be this really great mastery of register in horror mm. movies because one of the things I, I talked about like the absence of sound that often happens yeah. before those stinger chords but that's not really true we don't oh, we don't have just a, a blank absence but instead what we feel is really really low frequency kind of rumblings that that mm-hmm. we can still resonate with and help to draw us in further. And then the the use of the register, uh, the higher register specifically, adds to that striking because we now have a more expansive kind of orchestration of that moment. And yeah. it, it goes from a, a very closed space in a single part of the register that is drawing us in to this expansive, uh, this expansive register that is uh so jarring when put together and uh you mentioned john carpenter uh i was just i just watched the fog recently which absolutely uses that uh there will be you know synthesizer material in the in the lower register of the score that is supposed to be uh representing kind of the undertones of the fog that Mm -hmm. is drifting into into scene but then whenever uh, the ghosts appear in that movie, you get these really striking higher synthesizer chords in the same way that um, Michael Myers is in, in Halloween. Mm-hmm. So I think yes. I think definitely yeah. uh, John Carpenter is one of the, the composers that has really been able to utilize that register to create very, very distinct moments and to strike the the uh the or spotlight uh what is what is the horror the thing that is causing the horror as well yeah there's something really elemental about that that i think is very powerful and it's not limited to film music of course i mean i can think of operas and ballets in the 19th and early 20th century that use similar devices to again use like really really low tones and textures to sort of project unease and I think some of this depending on the register and the the volume is a little bit uh, tapping into our fight and flight response right we're kind of hardwired to be extra sensitive and extra worried about low sounds because they often come from big things that might be a threat threat to us and then also this these higher um, frequencies that again when they are articulated very suddenly and very loudly I mean they almost you know you almost kind of duck from them mm-hmm. which is again a kind of like a it's it's a um, it's a almost a reflex of action and boy Carpenter just really understands that so well and his yeah as you just said his use of synthesizers to just kind of boil down the musical elements to these really really simple ideas that are yet very very carefully i mean i don't know how much time he spent with the you know figuring out the the various timbres but they boy they are so they're so effective in kind of yeah grabbing our attention and making us uneasy but also again it's enjoyable it's really it's really exciting you really feel you're in the hands of somebody who is uh taking taking care to give you the the sort of the most enjoyment out of out of this terrifying experience yeah another composer that i think really does that well is joseph bashara who was the composer for insidious which was one of the first horror movie soundtracks that i really gravitated to because 
I feel like a lot of horror movie soundtracks sort of split themselves between the the exclusively electronic, uh, which mm-hmm. is like the the synthesizers of the Carpenter score, yeah, or or then the really um, heavily heavily orchestrated and very traditional soundtrack, like um, Marco Beltrami, the soundtrack yes. for Score, um, and I think mm-hmm. Joseph Bashara, their method of composition is really deliberately living within these these two kind of worlds. And Insidious is a great representation of that because uh, the way that he uses trumpets in that oh. to to uh, to spotlight uh, the the red-faced demon that shows up as the mm. the villain of Insidious is so it is so precise and it is mm. so terrifying, but it's terrifying in a way that is almost like biblical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. I think that that movie has a lot of biblical undertones, even though it's not explicitly about religion. the The use of this red faced character and the association mm. with the devil makes it very mm-hmm. uh, biblical. And so the yeah. the synthesis of the electronic score, which is very very in vogue the the use of these um kind of electronic subtextures and then this almost graphic traditionally orchestrated trumpet sound makes yeah. makes for a, another really jarring experience but one that conveys narrative so well and mm-hmm. conveys subtext and so i think that yeah. that's that's the thing that uh that score draws me to so much. Also, uh, Joseph Bashara was the nun in the con. Oh, in the nice. Conjuring, which I think is very cool. Okay. <laughs> that is very cool. So I'm about to lose the respect of all of your listeners, but I need to come clean and say I haven't seen Insidious, but what you just described sounds amazing. And so I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. What you were talking about reminds reminds me of just you know, how important sound or tone color and timbre is to, to horror. And of course, it's important to, to all sound and all music, but it really sort of receives a, a degree of emphasis, I think, in part because so much of horror music and sound kind of traffics between sort of soundscapes and sound effects. And oftentimes it's it's unclear. Sometimes when we hear a, a, a sound element in a film, it takes us a little bit of time to decide whether or not it's music or sound effect that mm-hmm. that uncertainty is a something that a lot of filmmakers play with and musicians play with and that boy that that really has that emphasis on on tone color and sort of unusual palettes of tone color for horror films has deep roots i mean going all the way back to the silent era and and early um early sound, you know, the use of organs, which are not technically synthesizers, but sort of synthesizer-like mm-hmm. in their capacity to make a lot of different kinds of inter- uh, interesting and sometimes unusual tone colors is something that, of course, we have in the, the silent era and isn't restricted to horror, but horror could sort of benefit from it in particular ways. And then, of course, you have all of these horror films from the 30s of characters who play organ or for whom the organ is is important. And then uh, somebody that, for me, is just really, really uh, important to this genre, even though he didn't do that much horror, is Bernard Herrmann. Mm-hmm. And, of course, his collaboration with Hitchcock is really important. And, you know, Psycho is... is a horror film and and has a strings only score and 
in order to kind of work with that, that was sort of a self-imposed limitation. And in order to kind of draw from this limited set of instruments as many different tone colors as possible, he has all kinds of sort of tricks up his sleeves in terms of different t- types of playing, different arrangements of the of the instruments. And so as you go from moment to moment in the film, even though it's just strings, the whole film, no brass, no woodwinds, no percussion, the timbre, the tone color is constantly changing in ways that are just really, really interesting from a musical standpoint and also unsettling if you're even if you're not aware that he's doing all of that it's very um it feels unstable in ways that are sometimes hard to articulate yeah absolutely and i think that one of the things that's most impressive to me about uh herman's scores is the way that he is able to get such percussive timbres with that that limited uh, of an uh, of an ensemble, an instrumental palette to work with, but he's really utilizing every aspect of the string instrument to get those the the chopping effects, the dragging effects that kind of get you the scratch tones, and then pizzicato, yes. which have these like very distinct percussive effects to them that horror at this point really can't live without. It it needs those yeah. those percussive moments. But at the same time, he's capable of these really sweeping melodies. The The melody for mm-hmm. the car scene is mm-hmm. so amazing that da 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 It just, it's, yeah. it's very, very cool. And it makes that scene so tense because you yes. could watch that scene with no sound and it's, you get that she's like very paranoid, but not a lot happens. Right. It's no. it's the gradually increasing quality of the music that is also adding to that sense of paranoia, that um, almost Doppler effect of it sweeping in yes. and sweeping out. That it, it it's like we're we are constantly turning our head backwards to look <laughs> uh, with each yes. pass because I think that's what it's supposed to represent is yeah, like driving yeah. past cars and your head follows to make sure that the person that you just passed isn't someone you recognize. Right, right. Oh, that's really neat. I've never thought of it that way before, but I I like that a lot. Yeah, no, it's such an interesting um, use of, again, kind of lyricism and then also, yeah, the the accompaniment during that scene is, is very uh, rhythmically driving and... and um, somewhat percussive and and so yeah it's it's a really neat mix um i mean the other thing you were talking about sort of like jump scares and stinger chords and obviously the very very iconic sequence of the of whenever but whenever somebody's getting stabbed and the the stabbing motions of the um you know the the kind of passage is to me it's it's a great example of Again, this sort of Mickey Mouse scene that you were talking about, the, the the quality where, and in this way, you could say, I mean, people have, people, other people have said, you know, that gesture could be mimicking the knife, the kind of the idea of, of you know, just as the, the string players are, in order to make that sound, have to essentially kind of um, strike their instruments in a very sort of aggressive knife-like fashion it could represent that, but it could also represent the screams of the people, the the victims, mm-hmm. and and so that really really simple gesture is sort of abstracting the trauma of both of those, whether whether the assailant or the victim, and yet also making it 
more, this probably is not the right word, palatable because it's so over the top. You're kind of like, okay, this is this is crazy, but I'm, you know, because there's violins playing, I know I'm still watching a movie mm-hmm. here, and so there are there are people who have you know posted um, uh, scenes from Psycho without the music, uh, particularly like the shower scene and stuff, and they're very uh, disturbing in an in an uh, in a much less positive way than than how those scenes play with the music, and so that's another great example of music both intensifying the drama but also kind of protecting the the viewer from what is being depicted yeah absolutely and i i think that that self-awareness uh, the that horror mm-hmm. movies have in, in their use of the score it reflects kind of like a camp culture like and i mean yeah, camp yeah. from the um like queer theory that that mm-hmm. idea of a uh, being ostentatious or like exaggerated and almost like out of taste, which it shows up in a lot yeah. of movies. And I think um, horror is really often referred to as camp or having campy horror movies. Um, yes. That more than any other genre really. And so yeah. I think part of the, the score has to do a lot with that camp and absolutely protecting the audience from knowing that it is a movie protects protects the mind i mean you'll still have yeah you know nightmares about certain movies but (laughs) yeah but you know we you just play the score back and you're like oh i'm in a movie so yeah no that's that's great great point and and it's also the thing that it strikes me about horror too and, and me and lots of other people's this really interesting play i think this goes to the the camp element uh, where horror is perhaps more than any other genre self-referential right like horror films are constantly referencing other horror films which is both super cool and also kind of takes you out a little bit right it again reminds you that you're watching a movie because you're constantly being reminded of other films that do similar things or or are you know um, riffs on plot points or story beats from other films and yet while you do have this sense of reference and conventions and even cliches you also have the expectation of of rules being broken in sometimes really really productive and exciting and and necessary ways and so this kind of transgressive quality paired with the sense of cliche just creates all you know so many interesting opportunities to either surprise um satisfy expectations frustrate expectations it's just yeah it's a really neat set um, of pieces to play with. I, I want to um, actually circle back a little bit to you bringing up the organ because when you brought up the organ, yeah. the first thing that that came to my mind was the accompaniment of silent films and the use mm-hmm. of the organ. The organ was was the arbiter of a, of emotion because uh, the, yeah. the books that people would play when they were improvising these silent films, they, they weren't titled pieces. They were just moods that you would skip to. And if yes. the action on screen was, was sad, there was sad music to be played. And I think that that had a lot to do with how horror movie music especially continued to grow. And one of the mm-hmm. ones that first brings this uh, or that first comes to mind for me is Carnival of Souls, which is, mm. have you seen Carnival of Souls? I don't think I have, but tell me about it and I'll, I'll let so, you know if, I, if I've forgotten. So uh, Carnival of Souls is a, it's from 1962, and it is the story of this woman who 
moves to this new town. It's it's like a coastal town, and she's an organist. And so the entire movie is these juxtapositions of her performing organ music that is steadily getting more chromatic and and, oh, wow. and discordant. And then it's uh it's focusing on this carnival where uh the that is like broken down or abandoned and these these ghouls that kind of live there and so uh the whole the whole movie is a a juxtaposition between this increasingly (laughs) uh increasing paranoia of this girl but also her being drawn to to this carnival which is essentially hell um yeah it's it's based like loosely on an occurrence at owl creek bridge um goodness and so it, the 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 use of the organ is this is this it's kind of engaging with like the tradition of it's very expressive of mood in the beginning of the film it's it's kind of yeah. normal it's it's choral music it's it's very consonant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh and then as it continues it starts to to morph into something that is more uh uniquely horror focused and yeah. I think that that really inspired like a lot of horror movies to come. And the, the two that came to my mind after that uh, was Hellraiser and the use of the mm. organ to to portray gothic horror, especially because um, there there is a subtext that comes with the organ, which is not just the use of it in silent films, but also its place in church music and so being yes, able of course. being able to create references to sacred music in hellraiser which is obliquely religious there are, are moments where mm-hmm. religion is brought up but it is not uh explicitly about religion uh mm-hmm. and then Candyman, john cage or yeah. philip glass's score for Candyman, which is um organ and minimalism which is supposed <laughs> to represent this like sprawling cityscape that also becomes more discordant <laughs> as the young woman yeah. in that film slowly moves uh, deeper and deeper into danger in in the narrative of Candyman. So, um, oh wow! So, oh, I love I yeah. love that. I'm gonna have to check out Carnival of Souls. That sounds so fascinating. The um, gosh, so many things to to think about there. I do think that. I mean, you mentioned the the organ is also connected to religiosity uh and you know particularly churches uh but i think you know that connection is is frequently played upon um because well i think there i think there are a couple of of points there but one is this association with the sublime you know just something that kind of outstrips our ability to comprehend which works both for conceptions of divinity and also horror mm-hmm. like those are those are uh, related things and i think some of that comes from you know the size of like a, a large organ whether that's a massive pipe organ in a church or a theater organ these these are instruments capable of making lots of sounds and lots of sound and and then this also this kind of idea of you know this one person sort of as mastermind, you know, in some ways it's almost a corollary to our kind of notion of like the director is auteur, this one person who is somehow able to manage all of these parts and they're playing with both hands and both of their feet and they're just creating something that, that you know, is kind of 
you know, not of the, not of this world. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that does really uh, connect well to sort of this idea of kind of exploring experiences that we cannot fully comprehend that, you know, is, is common in horror. And, um, yeah, there was something else that I was going to say about that, but it's, it's left, it's left my, left my mind. That is really, really neat though. I like, thank you for mentioning that title. I'm going to check it out. And it's such a great way of, of marking important characters too, because I think that when, when an organ shows up in a score, it cannot be, it cannot go unnoticed. Like, Right, attention right, yes. has to be drawn to it. So for the organ to represent like a character, uh, it, it has a very clear and distinct ability to cut through everything else that is happening and, and yeah. pinpoint spotlight the action directly on the character that it is supposed to represent. And that's what's happening in Carnival of Souls is the organ mm-hmm. Uh, is her she represents uh yeah. it represents her changing mood and and uh the, her individual experience is shaping the sound of the organ i i talked to you recently about embodiment uh and how yeah, physical yeah. gestures help to convey meaning and uh in this case convey sound through the intermediary yeah. object it, it's exactly the same the organ is this intermediary oh. object that helps translate internal mental state directly to the audience and yeah. and that's what the sound is doing as sound becomes more discordant we we mm-hmm. have a natural association to start becoming paranoid ourselves uh in in sharing that emotion i think with you know the character we are attached to or we are supposed to form those attachments to oh that's really neat yeah and your point about uh the discordant the sort of increasingly discordant qualities of the music is also a a really interesting sort of element of music and horror film obviously the kinds of music that has been in used in horror is so varied that it's pretty hard to generalize about all of it but there has been a lot of music that is quite dissonant Mm -hmm. right and is used strategically for that because it kind of makes us cringe or wince and uh depending on you know if it's very very soft and performed gently it can it can make us feel uneasy and you know there's a lot of a, a lot of the history of sort of quote unquote western classical music in the 20th century has been explorations of discordant timbres and harmonies and, and and chromatic harmonies and horror film has become a kind of helpful space for that music to be heard mm-hmm. by a much larger audience than it would otherwise because uh, a lot of music that kind of falls under the the large uh, umbrella of modernist is often difficult to listen to by itself it's not euphonous it's it's often more fragmented it's more chromatic and dissonant and when people hear that they go okay well that was interesting but i'm not quite you know i i don't quite have the tools for for understanding how to how to sort of understand the expressive intention behind that but if you put it into a story and a horror film quite frequently it's like oh okay now now i see i now i see that this particular idea is associated with a demon or a monster or a particularly threatening situation. Um, it's also funny to me, this is kind of a, 
a footnote, but not hopefully still of interest, that uh, Arnold Schoenberg, you know, wrote a piece for silent cinema that was, instead of writing music for a particular film, he did exactly what you were just describing earlier, Matt, which is he wrote mood music. Mm-hmm. And it was it was 12 tone, which is, you know, about as chromatic as you can get. And I think he had, he wrote it for three moods and I'm not going to remember them exactly, but it was something like fear, dread, and threatening or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so I'm not quite sure what he, he expected people to do for like uh, comedy or, or romance, but he, even at that very early stage, which was like, I think this is, he, he wrote it in the, I think it came out in the early thirties when actually silent film was already being sort of, uh, supplanted by sound cinema but that idea that these kinds of you know discordant chromatic textures could be really really useful in certain kinds of dramatic situations is a long that 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 has a long past Mm -hmm. there's another atonal film score that also uses a 12-tone serial theme um the taking of pelham one two three which yeah. has uh, yep. has that twelve tone score, and I I actually to to go along with your point, I think that using film as a vehicle to teach uh, these yeah. <laughs> these uh, not really niche, but these these more specialized uh, methods of composition and theory, yeah, is, is a way to make them more not only approachable um, but relatable to, to yes. uh, audiences and to students that are uh, learning about them, which is why I always go whenever I start talking about um, 12 tone, of course, Schoenberg is, is early mm-hmm. out, but I always go to taking of Pelham one, two, three, cause it's like, this is, this is a use of this uh, 12 tone style that doesn't come off wholly 12 tone when it starts. Yes. It has this, this jazz background and it uses jazz mm-hmm. to sort of, to sort of smooth out the that like internal dissonance that we feel because we expect extended harmonies in jazz. Mm-hmm. We don't expect twelve yes. tone necessarily, but right, but right. we get the the bridge between the two. That's oh, that's really neat. Yeah, I, I love that score. And um, the, another uh, kind of interesting example that was introduced to me by a student who did a. a a master's thesis on it is Benjamin Frankel's music for Curse of the Werewolf, which is a, I think, 60s hammer hammer yep. film. And it's not, I don't think it's rigorously 12-tone, but it definitely uses 12-tone um, in, a, in a number of passages from the film. And it's, it's quite effective. <laughs> yeah. There, oh, there's a book that I'm trying to remember the name of. Um, and it's called, I think it's called Hammer House of Horror Music music mm, mu- or mm-hmm. music from the house of of hammer music in the yes. avant-garde which is yes a- yeah. explores that ideas of using the musical avant-garde which i don't know if i would consider 12 tone necessarily avant-garde anymore because it's not by that point not by that yeah. point but now that it's kind of become this uh this new staple of of exploration in horror movies because i definitely think there was a break you have kind of the mancini uh mm-hmm. horror movie sound which is very arc orchestral and in that tradition the beltrami um sound Mm -hmm. and then you have this this kind of split where all of a sudden uh we're we're exploring timbres and people are inventing instruments to create horror movie music um and using prepared piano scraping strings because of the resonance that it allows for and you that's 
uh, absolutely grabbing all of those disjunct intervals and overtones and it's wrapping them in a timbre from the piano that we don't necessarily hear yes Uh, and so i think it it takes something that is familiar we kind of know where the sound is from but it presents it in a way that is disfigured and therefore scary yes no that's that's a great point yeah i mean it's it's the uncanny right it's the defamiliarizing of the familiar and and I have I wonder too to what extent some of this is is also coming out of silent cinema and, and this is really speculative because you know I think you would have had to have lived during the teens and 20s to really be able to comment on this but among the the variety of reasons for why people believe music was deemed necessary for for silent film at all was this sort of idea that there was something potentially un, unsettling about seeing v- moving images without some kind of sound to anchor mm-hmm. them, whether that's sound effects or just something like, you know, musicians, and in this case, live musicians in the space kind of giving it, you know, a, a kind of emotional depth that just sort of seeing images by themselves might not possess. They would have this kind of ghostly quality. And... Uh, the thing that's kind of interesting that, you know, again, we don't tend to encounter so much because if we do watch silent films, most of the time they are accompanied by music very, what would be the word, sort of capably, which is to say, like, it usually matches up or it's been done intentionally. We're often hearing, like, a recording of musicians playing with a silent film. But there are so many stories, you know, in the papers of the time of of music kind of the musical accompaniment in a silent film being rendered live and not working kind of correctly. Like the, the music, the musician is off from what's happening on screen. Or sometimes there's stories of them kind of even ignoring it and like playing music that was sort of radically incongruous. Or sometimes like the orchestra would be like, our shift ends at five. I don't care that the music is, you know, that, or that the film isn't done yet. They would just pack up like in the middle of the film and leave. And, these kinds of moments of rupture of I, I have to imagine were kind of um, perhaps frustrating, but also potentially like unsettling and maybe even productively. So this kind of sense of like, oh, like, like the, this is like pulling me out of the experience. I'm realizing, you know, that that this isn't kind of working mm-hmm. and and that kind of confronting of almost the kind of like what is, you know, what is cinema and what is sort of music's and sound's role in kind of rendering this world? I, I, I just kind of imagine that a lot of ideas of from those kind of discontin- discontinuities carried over into what people then used in horror films to kind of unsettle or surprise. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Watch New Evil. This is Matt. And this is Nathan. And we'll see you in next week's episode. Zach and Matt discuss some of the best and worst horror movies out there. Check out all four seasons of Watch No Evil. Lauren and Sarah riff on changing topics each week. Whether it's celebrity horoscopes, the poop cruise, or smell-o-vision, you'll laugh along with Dippers. 
Catch up on pop culture news and reviews every week with Brandon Biggs and Carl on Not Safe for Network. Professor Aaron Donaldson and Purple Heart recipient Charles Horgan break down war movies, their narratives, and the rhetoric behind them on Real War Project. <laughs> 